You're listening to Rosie on the House. Eight o'clock hour, first Saturday of the month. Which means we're talking farm fresh. We got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, joining us in studio to talk about. You know what we try and do in this hour is tie in what local commodities are coming off fresh from the farm, real time in that month. Now there's sometimes where things aren't necessarily seasonal. Yes. And barbecue would be one of those. Exactly. <laughs> Good morning, Romy. But May is National Beef Month. Yes. More beef is eaten on Memorial Day weekend than any other single weekend it, during the year. That's more than the 4th of July, more than Super Bowl. Good little fact there. So we thought, well, let's let's talk barbecue. And barbecue isn't necessarily tied to just uh, pork or just beef or just chicken. In fact, all of those together, when you look at Arizona's ag wheel, the $23 billion industry wheel for Arizona, 48 million of that is pigs and hogs, 677 million of that is cattle and calves, and not necessarily tied to barbecue, but tied to the cattle industry, 721 million of that is tied to dairy. So this is a pretty big representation for ag in Arizona is, is barbecue. <laughs> and I'm glad you picked it for this month because you know what? When it comes to barbecue, even though it might be, in it, in a way, it's seasonal too because a lot of the barbecuing really starts in the spring. But we can do barbecue every month of the year because we've got some good beef producers, some good pork producers. We've got some real quality meat that we're raising right here in Arizona. And we're going to talk about it with Julie Murphy and your special guest. I'll let you introduce. Yes. Uh, so we, I solicited Tim Dunn. Um, he's a lifelong resident of Yuma, and he operates a family-run business. He, uh, his company name is Dunn Grains, and he specializes in selling grains and exporting crops like garbanzo beans, black-eyed peas, sedan grass, and wheat. And, by the way, he just happens to be a state representative for District 13 for here at our legislature. So he's wearing many hats, but today we're going to quiz him a lot about being a barbecue, barbecue competitor. Tim, welcome. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. So um, when I think of all the things that you do especially farming, and that's a 24-7 job. How did you find time to be a legislator and then on top of that, in your spare time, be a competitive barbecuer? Well, cooking is my passion. So, uh, you know, we do that for our family and just learning how to do that. You know, you do what you like and then you just turn that into, into competition. And, and when did you start the competitions and where have you gone with them? I believe we started about five five years ago. Um, just uh, the lo- the furthest one I've been to is probably Dana Point in California. They have one right there. Uh, it's a beautiful location. Uh, that's um, pretty big. It was a California competition there. Uh, done them here locally. Uh, barbecue showdown up in Cholo is a is a great great event. It's actually going on this weekend, and I'm missing it. 
Well, so what strikes me, though, when I think about all the things you've do, done, including having more than one business, the main one being Dun Grain Company, but how did you, like, you know, splice this in with everything else you're doing? Because competition raises barbecuing to a whole new level. Um, it's not only, you're not just doing this for family, you're, you're right in the middle of it for competing. What started it is when I visited my cousin back in Mississippi. They, we have a family that has a large large farming operation in Mississippi, and my cousin, cousin Travis Dunn, he does competitions uh, like Memphis and May, and you know they're a different style than the ones we do I do out here with the Kansas City Barbecue Society. But he was really getting involved in cooking in those competitions, and uh, so I learned. You know, that's kind of what started it all. You know, six or seven years ago, is just um, looking for a smoker. And, and just kind of starting to smoke meat and, and doing it as a hobby. And then him, him competing kind of got sparked my interest in, uh, in looking into competitions. And there, this, the Western competitions are different. There's not as many as there are in, in the South. I mean, South, is, there's a barbecue contest every weekend you can go to. So um, it's easier for him. But that's just kind of kick-started that is when I visited with him and I started watching what he was doing. And you were already a cook, you know. You said something the other day when we were visiting about this. You said every everybody has their hobbies, and especially in farm and ranch country, some of the hobbies are roping. They've got their big roping outfits, and they've got trailers and stuff. Well, I guess the same thing happens with barbecuing. <laughs> Not for everybody, but for that's how I rolled into it. Is you know we started doing competitions and going. You take your smokers to a to a competition. And then you try to take your fifth wheel and you know, try to, cause you, you have to cook all night long. And so, um, my, my, my fifth wheel, my camping equipment wasn't quite suited for showing up to, a this confined spaces of a barbecue contest. So we, um, went and ordered a trailer that has a, basically it's a catering trailer, 22 foot, uh, stainless steel inside. It's got the triple rent sinks. It's all set up for a, like a food truck trailer. Uh, the back opens up for the smokers, so the smoke goes outside and uh, put my barbecue equipment in it, have all my tools, refrigerator. And so like I like I told you the other day, you know, if, if I was a horse, if I was roping, I'd have a horse and I'd have a horse trailer. I'm a barbecue contest, so I have my grills and uh, I've got a barbecue trailer. <laughs> That's funny. You know, shifting gears a little bit, tell us about the family farm and how your family started and how long you've been in Yuma and all that fun stuff. Well, we started up in central Arizona, came from Texas. My grandfather uh, had cousins that farmed in uh, Pinal County. We farmed in Pinal County, moved here. My uncle did in the 40s. My dad moved here in the early 60s. I was born here in Yuma. So uh, we've been here for a long time. My friends here in Yuma say, you know, I'm, I'm a latecomer. They've been here since the turn of the century, but I've been here since we've been here since farming since the 60s. Still have family that ranches up in the central Arizona, up in the Globe area. But we've uh, been here since the 60s, farming here in the Gila Valley. By the just Basically, if you're driving through town, that's right below the Arizona Western College in the Gila Valley. Now, one thing that you and I have always talked about over the years is how much you like to grow things, that you're always trying something new. What is anything, what's the latest, so to speak, especially well, with the farming? You know, we've, yeah, we like on the we've, we since I got out of college, we've liked to do the specialty crops things. You know, we grew produce. Arizona's known for its lettuce. Uh, I grew lettuce when I first came out of school. 
then we started our grain company and started looking for specialty crops and then uh, was farming statewide. And so with that, we switched gears from growing produce, always looking for a complementary crop that would help other growers like myself and other growers in Yuma. Uh, so that's we started looking at black eyed peas, garbanzos, and especially durum wheat. So these things complement the produce rotation. Uh, so uh, we've, we've been doing that over the last 20 years, 25 years since we've been in business as a grain company. So we have the farming operation and the grain company. So th- we're still looking at new things. Uh, one of the sesame seeds has been here before. We've been trying to grow some sesame seeds. we got a, a Japanese firm that's trying to source sesame out of Arizona to ship overseas. Um, they're one of, they ship a lot of sesame oil back into the States, and so they're trying to originate sesame from the States so they can ship Arizona and the United States test me back into the United States as oil. So we're working. That was a crop we've been working with the last couple of years. And, you know, um, you've made a name for yourself with uh, Dunn Grain. In fact, it traveled all the way to New York and some um, Hasidic Jews. Did. Do I have that right? Where they wanted you to do grain that was, uh, you know, f- for religious pers- purposes. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, one of the the special crops we do is is wheat for for matzah for Passover. So the the Hasidic Jews, the ultra they're the ultra orthodox, the most strictest of the strict in the Jewish religion are in New York, and they have um, uh, Jewish rabbis, and they have they have bakers that contract with their synagogues, and and so they were looking they they have to buy wheat for their for their matzah, and they buy it all over the East Coast, but what makes it um, for for matzah for the Passover is that it has from the, from the time that the wheat is viable and is ripe, it can't have any moisture or rain on it. And obviously on the East Coast you get rain in the summertime and and right closer to harvest, so it's tough for them. So one of the co- companies came to Arizona about ten years ago looking for for a dry climate. We were very well known for our wheat, so we've started working with them. We grow. We've done it every year since then, and so we we put our last irrigation on this week. We've got the baker and some rabbis will be showing up next week to look at the fields to determine if it's if it if we need one more irrigation or not. We it's right on the on the edge, so they'll look at that. Then between now and then until we time we harvest, they will hire a uh, con- company that is Jewish based that is certifies the seeds, and they will monitor it 24/7 to make sure there's no uh, rainfall or any adulteration to the crop until we harvest it, and then they will bring rabbis out when we harvest they will inspect our combines they'll inspect our seed cleaning equipment even though we know how we're, what we're doing we understand we're in a seed business we understand how to keep things clean but they verify the process go through and determine that it's kosher in their eyes and give their stamp of approval their grand rabbi will fly out they will go through the process of, of verifying everything with all their inspectors looking at everything and then they'll commission us to harvest and then we have to harvest during the day you know so i can you know, there's a lot of things to it, but basically, it's it's if you go into the Old Testament, it's unleavened bread and there's no moisture, and so they bear. And then we have to get the harvest in the storehouse during the daytime, so um, we can't harvest after night. You know, we have to do it during the daytime. So a lot of things, if you go back in the Old Testament, that is uh, they're they're following. To me, it's a special story because they even you know there's the process of the blessings and things, and it really also highlights how versatile we are with our agriculture and we can accommodate these special unique situations depending on what's required and what your customer wants so i've always loved that story when you share it 
it's pretty. It, it's you know our it's it's a it's a niche product, and the, for our facility to be able to do it, the reason is because we're in a, a seed company, so we know how to keep things separate. We know we make sure we don't commingle things, and we're also certified organic, so we know how to do the process of keeping things separate for the organic for food process and food safety. So things, you know, our Perfect. food is safe in our in our in our in our, in our chain in the food system, but not every system is allowable to 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 work on smaller niche products in each company. So our our company is, is pretty special. To be one that well, well to do that. we're going to cover a little bit more on the barbecue in the next break. Thanks, Tim. And that's the day I'll never forget. I had a barbecue stain on my white T-shirt. She was killing me in that miniskirt. Skipping rocks on the river by the railroad tracks. She had a son. On this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, it's the first Saturday of the month. It's the outdoor living hour. That means we are talking farm fresh. And our commodity today is barbecue, which includes just about anything you would put on the grill. But as it relates to beef, it's a great source of iron. Three ounces of beef, the iron you get out of that. How much spinach would you have to eat? I think it's like five cups. Three. Three, okay. Still more spinach yeah, than I want to eat in a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Quinoa is five cups. You have to eat five cups of quinoa to get the same amount of protein. As yeah. you would in out of beef? Yeah, three ounces of beef. In America, there's 800,000 American ranchers, and 97% of them are classified as family farms. Yes. And we've got Tim Dunn of uh, of what? Well, of the Dunn? Arizona State Legislation, yeah. of the Dunn Farms, <laughs> Dunn uh, Farms. the Dunn Barbecue. The Dunn Barbecue. <laughs> and it's awesome yep. barbecue. So T- Tim's done it all. <laughs> Tim has done it all. He keeps on doing it. So, Tim, you actually went to training. Where'd you go to learn how to be a competitive barbecuer? Well, I I went to Myron Mixon's cooking school. I'd already been I'd already been cooking for a couple of years. I went there uh, for actually for my 50th birthday a couple of years ago um, in December at his at his place in Georgia. It was a really cool experience. So the nice thing is I was I'd already had several years under my belt of cooking and understanding stuff. So I was able to take take in just you, some of the neat things that he talks about, you know, changing small things to make a big difference. And so uh, I really enjoyed the class. One of the big things that we learned was how to cook a whole hog, which I was oh, wow. excited to do. So d- d- have you kind of developed some specialties? Do you prefer beef over pork? And maybe that's not a fair question to ask a barbecuer, but, I mean, do you, you – know, have you developed something? I, I, it depends. You know, that's that's a good question. People ask all the time, "What do you like?" It's, you, it depends. The way I like to, I like it all. But we we typically cook a lot of steaks if we're cooking for our own personal use. Uh, you know, if you're smoking or you know, it takes takes a long time to do something on the you know over time. But like last night, we we had a uh, pork tenderloin was wrapped in bacon and and put that on the grill. Put some some smoked chips underneath it. And uh, so you're you're really grilling it, but you're having some smoke flavor. So you never, you know, we don't cook a lot of pork that way, but you know, we just kind of change it up. So I, I, it just depends on what what I'm cooking for, or which crowd I'm cooking for, or which family. I always say you start first with your family and your friends, and then and and and, and practice on them. There you go. So you had made a comment about the school is that you some small changes make a big difference. Can you clue? Are, there's some serious barbecuers that I know are listening today. Can you give us some like insider tips, at least one? <laughs> <laughs> it depends. You know, it depends. Yeah, it depends on what you're what you're looking at. I think 
moisture is your friend is, you know, injection, injecting, uh, depending on whatever product you're talking about. But, you know, I, I like to use injections on our pork butts, injections, even on a on beef chuck with a roll of doing that. Um, and then, and get it, get your, depending on what you're doing. Like I said, if you're grilling or even, even when I'm grilling on a, on a grill, I, I'll put a, some water in a pan to just have more uh, steam inside there to help, help keep things moist and juicy. So I use a lot of water, uh, as accents on the side, uh, and then my smoker has a water pan in it, so it's you're creating that moisture inside. So it depends on you know we can walk through some particular recipe, but you you know once you get to the the smokes in your in the product after a couple hours, then I like to put it and wrap it and with moisture in the bottom. So you know moisture and tinfoil are good are good tools to use whenever you're cooking. And you know I need to get you to write an article for our fill your plate blog that Arizona Farm Bureau hosts because. We have had some barbecue articles there, and one of them that I kind of like to highlight because we did this actually a few years ago, but since May is the month for barbecuing, we always tell our readers that, you know, host a potluck picnic, a veg out. A lot of people, sometimes you talk barbecue and you think just about the meat, but it's fun to grill zucchini, bell peppers, onions, potatoes. Um, we talk about in one of the articles too on fill your plate is, you know, make sure your cooking temperatures for your meats are correct because poultry is different than ground beef and beef and pork and lamb and veal are a little bit different than the other meats. So we always say, you know, go to fill your plate and find out what those temperatures are. And then also you can go to like ArizonaBeef.org and they'll explain some cooking methods. But Tim, I think I'm going to have to get you right to write for fill your plate. (laughs) <laughs> if yeah. you can find time after the legislative legislative session is over or something, we'll we'll make it happen. You just come. You we'll go to lunch and then okay. I'll talk and you write. And oh, we'll, that's the way to do it. We'll do it that way. And a lot of times when someone's making a decision, it sounds like you cook for your family the most. When you're making a decision of what you're going to do that night, are you influenced by, you know, Eileen? She's got to be telling you what she wants you to cook tonight right she yes she usually it's red meat (laughs) well tell eileen hi because um i know she's a great supporter of everything that you do she's on the other side of the table listening so oh good tell her hi (laughs) good all right right now you know people don't understand our schedule we leave on monday monday morning i go to phoenix for the capital and then come home on thursday night or friday morning goodness gracious well we'll talk more about that on our next break barbecue slice Ribs and sausage and a cold big red Barbecue makes old ones be young Barbecue makes everybody someone If you're feeling puny You don't know what to do Treat yourself to some meat Eat some barbecue <laughs> Well, couldn't have said it better myself And Before we get back to our topic of the day As it relates to barbecue and the uh, local... Uh, <laughs> local contribution it has to our Arizona economy. We want to follow up a conversation we had two months ago when you brought Schnepp Farms in, and we were talking about the coming production of peaches, and yes. they are ready to be picked. They are ready to be picked. They said the bigger weekend will be next weekend. There are some to pick this weekend, but they're pushing the those that are going to participate to really show up next weekend. Winespector.com has listed them as the best peach production in the country 
for over 50 years. That's impressive. Their peaches are wonderful. One year, hint, hint, if the Schneffs are listening, they sent a whole crate of pictures peaches to to the staff at Farm Bureau, yeah. and they went quickly. We uh, found homes You're, for all those fresh peaches. It was so wonderful. Your headquarters in Higley's not too yeah. far from the farm. It's not far at all, and I'm not quite, I don't quite remember, but they delivered them, and we just went, we're over the moon about that. Thank you, Schneff Farms. So yes, it's going to be a, a good time. The next six weekends, I think they do it, because they've got different varieties that come ripe at different times. Well, beef is obviously one byproduct of cattle, but there's a lot of other things that come from cattle. Uh, each cow, about 45% of, uh, of our harvest is meat, but we use 98% of cattle. The other 53% are used in leather, china, glue, film, soap, insulation, and uh, pharmaceuticals. All sorts of good things. There's a new dairy farm coming to Goodyear, a company that's tied into partnered in with the Coca-Cola plant, uh, is putting in a 300,000-square-foot uh, dairy in uh, basically Goodyear, Cotton Lane, and Thomas, uh, create 140 local jobs. Adding- we like it when they add to agriculture because then we can raise that $23 billion number. That will contribute to the economy. And Beef Magazine had an article that talks about the benefits of cattle. Uh, Cattle have been grazing in centuries. They help aerate the soil with their hooves as they move around, fertilize with manure, reduce the spread of wildfires by grazing off the brush, which we're going to have a good fire season. Uh, We're trying to prep for that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to prep for that. We're telling a lot of our farmers and ranchers about fire season and how to be prepared. And they help keep grasslands intact instead of being converted to residential or commercial developments. Just a few of the benefits of beef and cattle production and barbecue. And we've got a guest on the line, Mr. Tim Dunn, uh, Yuma, Yuma native. Yuma native, Yuma farmer, and also state representative for District 13. So he's quite busy, and he's, but he still finds time to barbecue for his family and Join us on this Saturday morning. Yes. So, Tim, here's a question I have for you. You know, you can veg out on a bar- barbecue grill. So what are your tips when it comes to grilling vegetables, since you grow them also? I grow vegetables, yes. But i, I got to follow up on the peaches. When you suck peaches, I'm thinking Dutch oven cobbler with peaches. And so mm-hmm. you got to go back to charcoal, yes. peaches, and a Dutch oven cobbler. And uh, we do that up on the, on the mountains with my good buddy Kevin all the time. So uh, we gotta we got to remember to get some of those peaches for that. But back to your question on... The veggies, I learned a lot when I was doing a Daniel's fast about five years ago uh, because we weren't eating meat for 30 days, and we started doing a lot of bell peppers and potatoes, and so using olive oil, a little bit of uh, kosher salt, some pepper. I kind of developed my own vegetable rub when I was going through that because we were just trying to use limited, you know, just stuff back out of the the, the Daniel's fast was doing in the Bible, so Anyway, I learned how to do that to using olive oil, divide up the, cut up the veggies, make a, basically like a shish kebab or use it in a pan. Um, it, it works real well. I love grilled vegetables. They just are so yummy, and you're making my mouth water. In fact, I think for lunch I'm going to do barbecue today. I, I myself <laughs> may not do it, but I'll go somewhere for good barbecue. And one thing I like to do is for a potato, like a sweet potato for a side, take and you can either cook it the whole time in the in the on the grill, or you can you know you cheat a little bit and microwave it about four minutes the sweet potatoes. But then you take an olive oil, put it on the outside of the of the skin, and then take some 
coarse ground, uh, the bigger the better. Uh, sea salt, put on, on around that, wrap it in tempo real tight, and put that on the grill about the time you're putting your steaks on, and then that sweet potato will be perfectly done. You don't have to use any butter or anything else, and it's going to be healthy for you, and it's going to have a great, that salt and that olive oil on the skin is going to be bite through, and you're going to really enjoy it. You're killing us, Tim. Eileen wow. and Tim, invite mm. us over for one of your barbecues. You know, one th- other thing that you and I talked about, Tim, is that you can, the barbecue contest schedule is just wild. Walk us through that. What what actually is involved? So the, the we'll talk about the, the Kansas City barbecue-style contest that I like to go to. Those are four meets. Um, they're sanctioned events. You have judges that are, that are uh, certified judges. They've been they've gone to a class. So we show up at the event on a Friday. Typically, they're, they're, the contest is Saturday. So we show up a Friday afternoon. Uh, you can trim the fat off your meat, but you cannot pre-marinate it or inject it or anything. You inspect the meat Friday afternoon, and then after six o'clock, you can start cooking and and, and pre- prepping your meat. So that evening, you're all set up. Everything's set up in the afternoon. You start. I'll take the brisket, the big pieces, the brisket. I'll finish trimming those. I'll inject them with a beef consomme, and and then I'll season it, let it rest, come up to room temperature for a couple hours, try to put that on around 8 o'clock in the evening. Same with the pork butts. Usually on a contest, I'll have two pork butts and at least one brisket for sure, but we maybe do two, uh, and those will start cooking that evening. Um, we get well, After you get them on the on the smoker, you'll trim the uh, your ribs your pork ribs uh usually run four four to six racks of ribs i'll trim those and then i'll marinate them with uh seasoning uh and put them back in the refrigerator you'll take and trim the chicken usually you can do thighs or breast or uh, we usually i usually do thighs you trim the chicken thighs and then you'll put those in a in a marinade overnight and then your the the smoker will be cooking the the big pieces of meat all night long. After about three hours, four hours, I'll uh, wrap, take those and put them on a in a pan on a on a grate and and wrap them with tin foil and let them cook until they get up to 202 degrees, which is usually around six or seven in the morning. Take them out, put them in a cambro, which is like a big ice chest that keeps them the same temperature. So you take them out at that temperature, put them in there, and they'll stay that way until noon. Um, well, about four in the morning, you pull the ribs out, let them come up to room temperature, season them with your seasoning. Uh, same thing with the chicken, and then you, you, everything starts moving on its own time frame. Because at noon we turn in the chicken, at 12:30 we turn in the ribs, at one o'clock you turn in the pork butts, and at 1:30 you turn in the brisket. So you basically so you don't sleep for about 28, 24 <laughs> to 48 hours, is what it sounds like. Now, exactly. how, how have you done? Where did you place? May I ask? Uh, we, We've got we got a, took a trophy home in a contest in in Queen Creek. We got the uh, second place in brisket there. Uh, we've got uh, some top ten finishes in different meets at different contests. So that was probably the only biggest trophy we got on the competition. But most of these competitions you you go to are like when you go to the West Coast. There's 500 teams, and these most of these teams that are winning are they're going to 30 contests a year. And so it's kind of like it's kind of like being a roper and then going to go ahead and go to the, you know, the really the pro pro rodeo. You're in, this is a pro circuit that you're going to. It's not an excuse. It's just, you're, it's fun to play with the big guys. This guys you see on TV, the guys you see winning uh, and be cooking right next to them. So uh, we've placed up, up close to them. And that's usually you want to get a call and try to get your name called on the top 10 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So you're, you're working, you know, you're basically cooking all these four meats and you try to have your best, if you can cook your best thing that you think you've done, you might place. Well, now with all, you know, you know, go ahead. You'll know that if, if, when you turned in your ribs, that if they were, they were like the best you've done or they were like a little bit off. So most people think of, of barbecue ribs that fall off the ribs. That's perfect. Well, that's overdone in the competition. You need to be able to pull a rib up and bite into it and you leave the teeth marks. The meat comes off the bone. Perfect. Where you see your, the meat come off, but the rest of the meat stays on there without falling off. If it falls off. It's overdone. And you so went you to a, a, a judging school where they teach you how to judge barbecue competitions. What all are they looking for? So we've established that off the ribs, you, it's not falling off. It's biting off. What else are they looking for when they judge? Because um, after about the first six or seven <laughs> samplings, I mean, how do you tell the difference between item number seven and item number 28? <laughs> right. So so what happens is there's usually there's a judge for each team. That, that's, so if you have 28 teams, you'll have 28 judges. And then you, you have a set of a table of four, and there's a car, scorecard. And so when we turn in our ribs, we'll turn in enough ribs enough bites for each of those judges in our box so we'll turn in eight ribs so you're going to take a pick but they'll they'll take one bite so you're judging you'll take a bite from each one bite of ribs and you do all four of those and you're going to take you know so you'll be four bites of ribs you might take two out of it usually on ribs it's one bite pulled pork you're going to they have slices and, and slices and pulled in the box you'll take a little bit of each you'll take a bite of those so you're taking eight bites of pork and then you're taking eight bites of if we of uh, beef beef brisket and then you're taking it, four bites of chicken so that's pretty much what you'll eat you're you're, you're scoring it on i, I agree. it's kind of like scoring uh gymnastics you're scoring it off of a perfect 10 you, you score what that tastes like you want layers of flavor you're not you're not comparing it to the one before or the one after you're supposed to oh. take that bite and have your own personal you're not you're, you know you're not supposed to say if it's not hot if you like hot spicy stuff you're not supposed to judge it down because it's not hot and spicy you're supposed to judge it how it complements all the flavors you you know, layers of flavor. You're going to either taste smoke on the front end or on the back, and you're going to taste the spices on the front end of the back, and you're going to make sure it's juicy. You know, the more flavors you can pick up, the better. So it, you almost independently are evaluating each one of those pieces, competitors, right. as you taste it. So to me, then, using the gymnast metaphor again, for the competitor, it's got you've got to have the same level of jitters as a gymnast that's competing on the national level. Uh, it well, sounds like you, it's you, really you, competitive. Right. You'll know that if you scored your ribs, that that was really good. And like, so you go jumping over to brisket, the brisket, you will, you take those slices. Anybody can make brisket fall apart. The thing is when you take those bricks, the slices in the box, you pull up the brisket slice and you tug on it and, it's, and it doesn't come apart till you give a little bit of pressure, then it falls apart. If you pick up your brisket slice and it just falls apart, then it's overdone. Then it's if overdone. If you can't pull it apart, then it's overdone. So you've got to get that nailed down. And, and, and be able to hold that till till one thirty when you turn so, it in. So, Romy, I think now you can be a judge. Well, maybe not really. but And, you know, one other thing that I kind of – I want to give props to Farm Bureau's Goodwill Barbecue. That was started about, I don't know, three or four years ago. I'm sure I'll get a text from Kevin Rogers because he'll correct me. Because Kevin Rogers, former president of Arizona Farm Bureau, has been um, integral in making those uh, – the Goodwill Barbecue – move and run around the state. And really, um, I even approach uh, Bruce Kane and Tim, you know him really well because he's a serious barbecue too and does a wonderful brisket. 
And so you'll have to come to our next Goodwill barbecue and you can judge some of Bruce's meat. But I had even solicited uh, Bruce to participate in this just because we were talking about barbecue. And he he's going to get after me if he's listening on the radio because he likes to be low key. A lot of times what our Goodwill barbecues are doing is that we're just reaching out. A lot of the agents through insurance agents throughout the state, the Farm Bureau agents are asking us to host a barbecue for their customers and stuff. And so it's all just very informal and, um, you know, he doesn't cater. So, <laughs> but boy, right. dude. that was, that was a good vision when we, when that started. Yeah. Back, uh, and I'm sure you were part of that, that too, right? Um, certainly probably. it was Kevin. I, I remember that Kevin, <laughs> probably, probably. yeah, I, I, mean, I, I helped him pick, I helped him pick out the trailer. Yes. And we yeah, that... him when we did some <laughs> and you probably had, uh, opinions on the grill and stuff, but, uh, the grill's doing really well for him and we love going all over the state and we run into a lot of great people that can tell us stories about their barbecuing and, you know, going back to the vegetables, it's uh, one of the ways to have a full mill. So in the next session, as we wrap up, we'll talk a little bit more about all the fun stuff Tim does. We're going to tie in our complete meal here on the grill with both barbecue meat and vegetables. And one thing that we do, I did it last night, Tinley. Uh, we had a little 15th birthday party for her last night she had a few friends over and one thing i realized last night that i need to learn to do in my cooking is prepare for a different age where in the past you put a corn and we just i keep it corn in the shuck and just put it on the grill no prep work just take it off take the shuck off and the corn's perfectly done you can burn as much of the husk as you want it never transcends through to the corn i say never i mean if you i'm sure you could if you left it on long enough or you weren't watching but in the past when we would take the corn off you could break the cobs in half and there was enough for everybody well these teenage girls they would took the whole cob and <laughs> <laughs> they ate the Me whole and Mama thing didn't get any corn <laughs> oh. corn is good corn on the cob especially when you roast it in the husk it's been fun for tim to be part of the show you had some other little tidbits for well, us on I, cooking instructions. I just you? wanted to cover chicken real quick because there was something CDC put out a notice about not washing raw chicken. I'm like, well, we did chicken last night. We did what we call a beer butt chicken. It's a stand and you put a can of beer mm -hmm. or soda in this stand and then you put the chicken over it uh, that's behind, goes over the, the can, so we call it a beer butt <laughs> chicken. I think there's another technical term for it, but as it boils, the liquid washes the chicken yeah exactly but it says not to wash raw chicken when you get a whole chicken it's still got the guts inside you gotta, you gotta Take clean those out the out. chicken <laughs> clean the chicken man yeah. <laughs> you don't rinse your chicken I don't you gotta remember though that cooking is the kill step so well right tim and, uh, and that safety is 165 degrees internal temperature yeah 165 degrees right. So, Tim, any last-minute tips for our listeners? Uh, yeah, well, you, know, you can't be successful if you don't try. That's number one. You've got to get something on the grill, even if you're not used to grilling. But, not, you know, you've got, to, you've got to experiment and practice. But uh, one of the things that's a good recipe uh, that we try for, you know, most people do the shish kebab. So we'll do a, a cut up the, the whatever vegetables you like, mostly bell peppers and mushrooms. And we marinate them 
in just regular straight um, Italian dressing. Uh, mm. The cheapest Italian dressing you can find. You don't have to have the fancy marinades. You can get just cheap Italian dressing. Put that in the, the vegetables. Try to do it overnight if you can. And then do the chicken separate and the beef separate, you know, is what we do. And then we have tomatoes and mushrooms. Keep everything separate. I like to grill them on a shish kebab, a bamboo skewer, and I put all the light vegetables together. That way I can cook the when I everything to the correct temperature because when you make a nice pretty shish kebab with one piece of everything on it, it's hard to get the chicken and the beef and everything exactly cooked. You cook two things over overdone as opposed to cooking them right. Sure. The tomatoes later. So that's a great, healthy um, idea. It's easy, cheap to do. Uh, like I said, but just get Italian dressing and then turn around and add add some beef rub to the beef, add some chicken rub to the chicken. That way you can accent those flavors so everything doesn't taste like Italian. Oh, that's, so that's awesome. So that's a, good, that's a good, we do that all the time. Thank you, Tim. And we've got, we're going to finish up with uh, Stephanie Smallhouse, president of the Arizona Farm Bureau. Steph, are you on the line? I am. I'm here. I'm so excited Tim's on the phone today. Boy, you guys have been covering a lot. You've got veggies, beef, barbecue, peaches, and chicken guts. That's quite a morning. We're filling the whole plate, as in fill the fill your plate. You got to get that gravy thick. Yes. That's right. Well, it's a busy morning here at the Car Link. We're shipping this morning, and so speaking of beef, always glad you guys talk about beef and that Goodwill grill that Julie was talking about earlier. I think the first time we used that, I can't remember if it was the Rodeo Tedeschi fire or the Wallow fire, but that was the the start of it. Is Kevin wanted to get out there on the front lines and help feed some of those people that were working that that big problem up there. So anyway, we're pretty excited to have that. So glad Julie talked about it. But I'm, what I really want to mention this morning in terms of, uh, in terms of our organization and, and the great things we're able to do is support leadership. And having uh, Tim as a farmer, but now as a, as a leader in our state, a state representative, I think is very exciting um, to show how, how rural folks are coming out of the rural areas to help leadership in the state. And and Farm Bureau, we invest in both youth leadership. We, we spend a lot of time investing in 4-H programs and FFA programs, um, specifically for, for what they do for leadership for our youth. But we also spend a lot of time investing in our, our rural leadership. And, and Tim's doing such a great job and has shepherded a very tough year in the legislature this year with water issues. So I'm so glad he was able to join you on the phone this morning. And, you know, wow. it just makes me think, uh, both you and Tim, came up through the ranks, uh, I believe, starting with Young Farmer and Rancher. And uh, do you feel a lot of your leadership skills were developed thanks to Farm Bureau? Well, me, absolutely. I, I don't know if, if Tim feels that way, but I guess he probably does. But but for me, for sure. And, and I would say with all this grill talk this morning, you know, I, I would try, but I'd rather just eat what other people prepare that know what they're doing. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. You can sign up to support the Arizona Farm Bureau and become a member, $60 a year. Huge list of benefits. You can learn about azfb.org or find a local farmer rancher at fillyourplates.org. Thank you.